Hey everyone, welcome back. We just did this last night. <laughs> it's uh, episode 105 and we start to wind things down here. Encore part one. That's because I decided there'll be a part two tomorrow. I'll be back here tomorrow night as well. And we, we may have a blowout party. I do have I do have an idea for something for our final call-in. I'm not going to reveal it. So it might be tomorrow night. I may jump on one night last next week for uh, a, a grand finale. And it's something, if you're usual here, you don't want to miss uh, because I believe in going out in a full chaos style party. And I'm not ready to reveal what that would be yet for the final episode of Call-In. <clears throat> as you know, as I've said, the Call-In was acquired by Rumble. And if you haven't been here for that, um, they notified either they're um, just closing out or they're shutting down. I don't know which it is. I, I don't. I just don't know if they're going to be doing new episodes or archiving. Uh, but I got the notice last uh, earlier this week that that would in fact be the case. So uh, who knows? They they might still keep the website up or whatever. But uh, it was acquired by Rumble, and Rumble, I guess, has different plans for either call in or to integrate it or whatever. I don't know. Um, all I know is that we will be winding things down after uh, about a year, about over a year. I think January last year is when we started doing these. And so uh, I know I said last night was going to be last episode, but we had so many people in the queue. And I don't see any of those people yet. Well, there's Chet. So I'm going to move Chet up first, just saying, just for old time's sake. Um, and so just if the interest was there, I said we'll do a couple of Encore episodes and uh, just go out with a bang. And uh, I know some people probably still have thoughts on the DeSantis rollout uh, debacle. I don't think it was that huge of a debacle. I, I genuinely think that no one's going to be talking about this two months or two primaries from now. What is interesting to me today, a day into this campaign, a couple of observations, and I may write more on this. One, uh, DeSantis took his full-fledged shot at Trump. Uh, I forget on what show he was on. He's, he's doing a complete media blitz. He's hitting uh, just about every single show that he can be doing right now. Oh, there it is. Hold on. Oh, God. That's annoying. Um, I think that was Steve Ducey. And he, and he basically hit Trump and said he did great for three years, and then he turned the country over to Anthony Fauci. And that is going to be a huge theme over the course of this campaign. And of course, he'll go into, uh, I'm sorry, it was Glenn Beck that he did that on. Um, and this is going to be a huge theme of the campaign, which is if he did, if he did that once before, um, how, are, how is he going to hold out and not do it again? And so that was kind of the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was interesting to me. And that's other than a couple of truth social posts, uh, Trump went out golfing today. He showed up at the Live International in Virginia, did some golfing. He did give some comments about the race. And Trump is what's interesting is he's not his typical self that he is on true social. He's a, he seems a little bit more reserved. He seems a little bit more respectful uh, to DeSantis and possibly his polling. And I find that interesting. But I also find it interesting that the day after his primary rival for the GOP nomination kind of stumbles out of the gate, Trump mostly goes muted and then goes golfing. And I talked about this a bit on the podcast and other people have brought this up. I starting to see already some parallels between Trump in 2024 and Hillary in 2016. Um, 
DeSantis is hitting 12 cities in four days. And uh, Trump still has yet to reschedule his canceled Iowa rally. And this is the kind of thing where I see where Trump believes, I think, one big thing, and that's he has everything wrapped up. He has his primary wrapped up. He doesn't need to debate. And that is similar to what Hillary Clinton believed, which is why she stayed out of the state of Wisconsin, amongst other things. Uh, I want to remind people, going back to 2016, in the final two weeks of the campaign, and I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing, so this isn't 100% accurate, but basically uh, Politico or someone, I think it might have been Politico Washington Post, did a graph tracking the air travel of Trump's jet and Hillary's jet, and he lapped her. So basically what that means is for every one trip, Hillary would fly into Ohio, do a rally, and then she'd fly home to New York and rest, or she'd fly to a fundraiser like Gwyneth Paltrow's house in California. And then she'd stay there a few days, and then she'd fly uh, to Pennsylvania and do one rally, and then she'd fly home. And then they tracked the travel of Trump's jet, and he was doing three stops a day uh, in those same states. He was in Milwaukee, and then he'd go to Detroit, and then he'd fly down to Ohio. And that, to me, is reminiscent of what we're seeing now. Now, that doesn't mean Trump's not going to ramp things up, but these early donors and these early donations and this early impression uh, is going to be something that's going to be pretty big. The other thing I'd note is Trump doesn't have anyone around him anymore that I think can tell him, sir, you don't have this wrapped up. He is down to kind of his D-League fourth-line backbencher people who are, aren't going to say anything to kind of upset him on any of this stuff. And so when they say, yes, sir, you're killing it all in the polls, sir, yes, you're correct, sir, um, I think that he's slacking off, and that's what it looks like to me. I really think if Trump still had a killer instinct, uh, he wouldn't have just posted a few memes on True Social and gone golfing. Um, the other thing that kind of leads me into um, with this is, like I said, voters will vote for who shows up. And if they think that Trump is just kind of coasting and he's just thinking, I got this thing wrapped up, um, he's going to have kind of a hard lesson. Uh, I think people forget that back in March of 2020, uh, there was a story out that Trump, what the perception was he wasn't taking COVID that seriously. Um, and then Tucker Carlson pulled him aside and visited him at Mar-a-Lago and said, you're, you're going to lose the election if you don't straighten this shit out. And Trump didn't really believe him. And so um, Trump doesn't really have that right now. He doesn't have someone to say, look, this, this glitch that happened, yeah, it's funny and we're going to make fun of it, stuff like this. Uh, he is within a striking distance as far as polling is concerned, and you're going out golfing. And, and he hasn't rescheduled the event in Iowa. And I do think that to this day, that was still DeSantis's best move, was when Trump canceled the tornado watch rally. He said, fuck it, we're going to Des Moines and we're getting some barbecue. It's not Brooklyn, but, you know, it's still barbecue. And so I'm starting to see some things that kind of look like this, that Trump thinks he has this wrapped up and therefore he's not going to debate and he doesn't have to do anything and he's going to kind of just coast on his good name. And we'll see. Maybe that's the case. Um, If my primary opponents kind of, again, stumbles out of the gate and I thought otherwise, I don't go golfing the next day. And so just some introductory thoughts, but I'm sure people are going to have uh, some thoughts on that as well as others as we start to wind down. So uh, again, uh, I will be back here tomorrow night as well for Encore Part 2. 
which may or may not be the final episode. I'm looking at possibly one episode next week to really wind everything down. And uh, I'm looking at doing something <laughs> uh, a little an, or, an orthodox, let me put it that way, something that would be kind of chaotic, but I'm thinking about it. So, um, no, it's not going to be a 24-hour call-a-thon. <laughs> Someone suggested that, just go from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, and just get like a hydration drip. Um, but it will be something that uh, it, it will – if, if I decide to do it, it's going to be fun. That's, that's just what I'm going to say. Um, we're going to blow the place up. Let me put, not literally FBI. Um, we're just the room, the room will get a little crazy and I promise that, uh, that it will. So stay tuned for that. But for now we'll go tonight for about an hour or so, and then I'll be back here tomorrow night as well. And then we'll see about next week. So again, ground rules, just make sure um, if, if you're in the queue, there might be people behind you. And again, as we wind down, um, I'm probably going to get more than we've had recently. And uh, also just please uh, do mute your microphone if you're not speaking. It just makes it easier for me, makes it easier for the recording. And uh, that should do it. So just saying in the spirit of what we've been doing for the last year, I'm going to need you to wait because I'm going to skip you. Uh, for some people who weren't here last night. So, Chet, you're up. Thanks for uh, understanding when I booted you last night, but go ahead. Hey, it's all good. Can you hear me, Stephen? Yep, you're up. Go ahead. Yeah, all good, man. Don't worry about it. Um, but I just wanted to uh, – my comments are going to be about the launch and stuff because that's just, you know, what I was going to comment on last night. But um, I kind of – I disagree a little bit and I'll push back with, you know, it was a whole debacle and, you know, people saying the technical stuff hurt him. I don't really think so because. Well, I I also do say, I don't think people are going to care about this in a month or two, like at all. It's other than. Oh yeah. yeah, Wants to keep it at there. I don't think it's going to matter as long as like little stupid errors like this don't continue to pile up. No, absolutely. I agree. But just from, you know, my my thinking and maybe thinking of thinking of other people who maybe support DeSantis or are you know opposed to Trump, but in my mind, you know, it didn't hurt him because one, he can spin it, you know, oh, I broke the internet, which he did, and most of his like pundits did. I, I was watching last night as we were listening to the Fox News interview as well, and that was like literally the first thing he said was like, we broke we broke the Twitter, like it was that massive. So there's that spin. And then also, I think it's something that Shapiro and a few other commentators said last night and today, but, you know, the the technical difficulty stuff and the people amplifying that, those are people who, you know, were looking for an issue. They were looking for whatever they could find to, you know, oh, say, oh, here it is. It's a, it's off to a rocky start. Like, he was never going to convince those people. He was never going to, you know, rally them to his camp because – after the first, what, 10, 15 minutes, it was basically 45 minutes to an hour of like pretty in-depth policy, you know, discussions and stuff, which I think is refreshing, you know, hearing, you know, as opposed to, the, you know, our last president. But I just think it wasn't as big a deal just because most people who didn't want it to happen or, you know, he say he's too online, they were just looking for an excuse anyway. But that's just that's just my thoughts. With you, like I talked about, if, if you stuck around and listened, then yeah, you had a pretty, ins- he gave some pretty insightful answers on stuff. Um, I did like what Tiana Lowe wrote at the Examiner that I do think 
he was dwarfed a bit by both Sachs and Musk, who seem to be using this to promote their own platforms. Um, I do see that side of it um, because it did kind of turn into more of like a panel podcast style thing. Now, I don't think that that's any big deal at all. It's just an observation. Um, I do think that it was a rare it's that thing crashing for 20 minutes is all journos needed to basically write their stories. And as I said on the podcast, no, it's not campaign ending. It's it doesn't matter in the long run or anything. Um, but it did, it was a rare stumble for him where he, he legitimately gave journos something to chew on and to write about and chum the waters for them, as opposed to a made up story about not saying gay and, and what is what they're used to. And so that's that kind of explains the over enthusiasm that they all had writing those stories and going with that. And it's all over the place. Um, I guess the question is, is how many voters in Iowa or New Hampshire know about that or saw it or care? And I don't think it's very many. And that to me is the irony of yesterday when they said he was going to do this with Elon Musk on Twitter. The argument was, why is he doing this? No one's going to see it. And then after he did it and it crashed, it was, oh, his campaign is over. <laughs> they can't they can't keep, you know, a narrative straight with it. So, no, I don't think it was a huge debacle. It's not how you want to start your presidential rollout because campaigns are going to use any stupid misstep against you and they're going to do ads and whatever. And DeSantis isn't only running against Trump. He's running against the media. He's running against the Lincoln Project. He's running against the bulwark types. Um, and all of those people who have a financial vested interest in seeing Donald Trump win the GOP nomination again. And so, no, it wasn't the, it's not the end of the world thing. It was just something where uh, his critics were waiting for him to fuck up or at least a fuck up around him. And they got one. And so you just have to make sure in a presidential campaign that little things like this don't continue to happen. I saw people harping on his website and he doesn't have a bio up and that that's shit that nobody cares about. But I'm just talking about these kinds of things where it doesn't look like a smooth operation for a guy who's generally known for running smooth operations. And so um, I just think that that's the legitimate. No, nobody's going to be talking about this in fucking Iowa in a month. And that's primary, you know, that's, that's the primary takeaway from this. I'll give you one last word. Sure. I got you. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree with with basically everything you said. And, you know, I apologize if I'm treading over stuff you may have mentioned in the in the podcast today. I didn't get a chance to listen. I just got back from work and hopped on. But, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I do agree, though, that I, I, I did find it a little strange because I got the sense, too, that, you know, Sack and Musk kind of were not I don't want to say taking the shine, but, you know, a little bit like self like self-aggrandizing, promoting themselves too. And I don't know if anyone else noticed or if you noticed, but like, you know, all of the speakers, like every speaker who came on to, you know, ask the governor a question, they also like, you know, paid a little tribute homage to Elon and Sachs. It was, you know, thank you, Elon, for, you know, buying Twitter and free making this a free platform again. Like, there was at least, I think, two or three speakers that said that. And I was like, that's, you know, okay, we get it. But it's a little strange. But uh, thanks for uh, thanks for all the call-ins, man. And all the hope we can find something else to do this because I really enjoy it. But thanks a lot, man. Thanks, chat. Yeah, we'll see something that comes down the road here in a little bit that um, is similar to this. Because uh, I do like, I do, I would like to at least stay in touch with people. So, uh Again, just saying you're going to have to wait two more people. I'm sorry. Uh, Little Red, you're up. 
thanks for uh, waiting and thanks for your patience and sorry to boot you last. Hi, can you hear me? Yep, you're up. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so I don't have a lot of thoughts I about the actual launch. My thought is that, one, he's, he's attacking Trump the, the correct way by saying, well, Fauci, blah, blah, blah. And that was good. But why doesn't he or anyone else just say, Trump is old. He's old. <laughs> I mean... You already have an old man. <laughs> do I, we I, really want to do this? I think that that's going to come. I don't think it's just going to be he's old. I think the distinction is that both Trump is 78, Biden is 80, and we need modern leadership. It's not even we need new leadership. I think it's that we need modern leadership. And I think that yeah. that's a very real argument. I don't think he has to generally come right out and say, um, you know, he, Trump's you're, you're old, you're out of touch, whatever. Um, but I do think that there is an argument to be made that says, you know what, we have these octogenarians not letting go of power, and it's it's time to do that. I mean, and that was kind of Obama's argument in a way. You know, that was that was kind of the thing is you had a what a seventy year old John McCain against a forty five year old Barack Obama, and I think that that argument can certainly be made here and. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about Trump's true social reply, you know, like that was another one where d- despite the kind of glitchy rollout, Trump's reply was about his future friend, Kim Jong-un. And I don't know who looks at that. And it's not even cringy. I don't know who looks at that and just goes, okay, that, yeah, that's totally normal. That's a completely normal thing to do and say. And, that's that was my thought on it. I was just like, what what the fuck is he even talking about? And I, I noted yesterday on the podcast that it was good to just hear a politician be able be able to say stuff again. And I think that that's the distinction. And Dana, when Dana Lash had him on today, and he brought up Trump saying confiscate the guns first and then due process later, Trump's obviously talking about red flag laws, and, but Trump can't articulate red flag laws because I don't really think he knows the ins and outs of them. And DeSantis brought up not only the Second Amendment, but the Fifth Amendment. He says you can't just confiscate any private property. A gun is a private property. Um, and, again, I, I, I think that whether it's him or whether it's someone else, um, I, I do think that that argument can and probably will be made that way. You, you need modern leaders, especially now with, you know, the intentions of AI that's out there. Um, this isn't just, you know, internet as usual anymore. And I wrote about that today for Examiner. And I knew that one was going to just die on the vine just based on the news cycle, but whatever. Um, it's out there. This is why I think it's important that he's out there talking about Bitcoin. He's out there talking about digital currencies. He's also talking about a world digital currency. These are all things that, you know, the media scoffs at. Um, but I would be has to go ask someone like Maggie Haverman if she knows what, you know, the world digital coin is, the digital currency is that they all call the conspiracy. And it's sitting right there on the World Economic Forum's website. And so these are all things. These are modern issues. Um, the, the, the gender ideology debate is a modern issue. And, and we know Trump really isn't engaged in that. Uh, we, we know what going into public schools as far as race theory, ideology and things like that. That's a modern issue. 
And a lot of this stuff passed Trump up. He sat at Mar-a-Lago and did a lot of golfing uh, over the last two to three years, while people like DeSantis and Kemp and other governors were kind of the face of all of these fights. And I think that that ultimately really, really Well, I mean, when I say he's old, like, I'm serious. He's, he could keel over. He, he seems healthy. You know, Trump is going to outlive all of us. <laughs> he's going to live forever. I just, I know that because that's the one thing people ask, like, what's it going to take for him to go away? And I always just shrug, like, I shrug in conversation. I go, a heart attack. That's it. People like Trump don't just like die. He's going to be around for a while. Longer than any of you think, and yes, he, he if he if he loses his nomination or if Biden wins or whatever, you can count that at the age eighty four he will run again. And no, I agree with that, but I, I guess you're right uh, that saying modern or in touch would maybe be a better way to deal with it. All I know is that my parents died younger than both of the presidents that we had, <laughs> we had or both of the last two presidents. They're still kicking, but it's just very um, scary to have somebody whose hands on the wheel, statistically, they're, you know what I mean? And and him and, and Trump going golfing today is just a slap in the face of the electorate. And I think that even his, So I saw someone make the, the argument that as, you know, more January 6th protesters were sentenced today and Trump's on the golf course. Yep. And yep. Um, I'm certainly not sympathetic to anyone who decided to step foot in that Capitol on January 6th, but it's a good, for a guy who came out and he said so far, the only, and I think this is the only new thing I've heard Trump actually say that, you know, and, and I've said this, that he, it's, he doesn't really even have a platform. And I said it today on Twitter, like he doesn't really know why he's running again, other than he thinks he has to, and it's revenge and he just wants to win. It has nothing to do with the country. It has nothing to do with the direction of the country. It just has Trump. Trump has to win. And yeah. that to me isn't good enough. And I think voters are probably going to say that's not good enough because, again, what, he's not offering anything new. And as I just said, a lot of these debates we're having now, we're, talk, we're have, talking about gender ideology and minors and kids. Uh, we're talking about critical race theory in schools. We're talking about kind of the bureaucratic state and and. Uh, an uncontrolled FBI. A lot of this stuff just Trump sat out. He could have been on truth. He could have been given rallies. He could have been social talking about all of this stuff for the last three years. But when he was asked about, sorry about that. I had a weird noise outside. When he was talking, when he, when he was asked about, you know, women and men's sports and, and bathrooms, he was like, I'm fine with gender neutral bathrooms. You should just leave things the way they are. And I'm kind of like, he doesn't really know the debate. He, he doesn't get it. And I don't think he has he people. I don't it. think he has people around him. Yeah, right. I just don't think he cares because I don't think he really cares about policy. And yeah. this, to me, is kind of the grievance revenge tour. And he hasn't really laid out any new policies going forward. Now he could run technically on a on a platform of "See, I told you so." You know, miss me yet? Kind of thing. But he's not doing that. He's going after his the primary opponent who in two days has laid out an entire policy platform about wh- what he wants to do. He has to do a lot more. DeSantis has to me talk more about the economy and inflation and things like that. Um, but I, I don't think if you were to sit Trump down and say, explain woke corporatism to me, 
I don't think he knows what he would say. I don't think he know, I don't think he would know what that would be. He called me he would call me a nasty woman and that would be it. Right, right. Well, I I just think running on I I I think that saying he's old is a pretty good policy too. <laughs> Cuz he's old. Dude, could keel over tomorrow. He's 78 or whatever. I mean, he's old. It really bothers me that there's so many old people. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at when you look at the heads of our government, <laughs> yeah, I think if you put I think if you put McConnell, Pelosi, Schumer, Biden, um, let's we'll throw in Feinstein. Everyone likes picking on her. I think that they I think their combined age is older than the country itself. Right. Just just and those five people, and it's you really know, upsetting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that was kind of the thing with Obama. Obama at the time was kind of the most modern president, and even he, even he wasn't. He was kind of a spokesperson of Pepsi can. It was kind of the social media team behind him that made him look in touch and cool and whatever. Um, and, and then of course we go back to Trump, and then we go back to Biden. And I, I think that that is a strong message that we have two guys who can barely, for different reasons, can barely get across a cohesive thought. And then you have someone here who is, you know, 44, 45, Generation X-ish. And I do think that that will factor into a lot of people. Okay, well, that's all I had to say. Thanks, Stephen, for all the call-in stuff and listening to me ramble. And uh, thank you, all you other people, for coming in, too. Have a good Thanks, Little Red. It, it has been my pleasure and job to listen to you all ramble. And Jacqueline, I'm going to bump you up here, and then we'll we'll just go in order after that. Jacqueline, you're up. Sorry to boot you. Thanks again. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't I don't want to do the can you hear me thing because I I didn't know if people were doing that as a nod to the glitch on Twitter yesterday. Maybe, but <laughs> but I wasn't ever able to log in. I tried starting at like 6.15 and I kept getting bumped and like around 6.30, I kept getting bumped out and crashing. So I didn't see any of that. I saw the, like the post game show stuff on like Fox News and everything. But I saw some of the clips later about what he had discussed with Elon and David Sachs. And I agree with like Courtney Yo in the comments said that it felt like a podcast because it did because there was no video that I could see of it and it just seemed like and he had all these other people it just felt like a podcast panel or like a CNN roundtable then it did like a campaign launch so I thought that part was kind of a mistake but I know he's doing a big like his like big Florida launch and his home city of Dunedin, Florida uh, this weekend. So maybe that will be more like looking like a launch. So maybe that was the thought process. And also, yeah, and also in Des Moines on the third. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I guess I look at it and I say it was part of a larger campaign blitz. So he hit Twitter, then he hit Fox News, and then he hit 
Mark Levin last night, and then hit Dana Leish today, and Eric Erickson and Steve Ducey and Glenn Beck. And so it was kind of a lot of that's going to blanket over. Um, but I just I don't think that it's something that a lot of people are, like I said, are going to be talking about even two months from now. It'll, it's a bad news cycle. He handed them that. Uh, I said that him and his people probably should at least prepare for it or at least have a contingency plan um, as opposed to just, <clears throat> excuse me, relying on Elon Musk, who's, you know, philosophy with tech and a lot of this stuff is to just try something. And then if it breaks, we fix it as opposed to making sure something works right the first time. And so, um, no, I don't, I don't think it's anything that's that huge of a deal. Um, but again, little things like that can, can pile up if, you know, you're not. Yeah. And I completely understand that. And, and that's what I'm saying. I was like, I don't think it'll be after he does his, um, Dunedin, like kind of, like I said, Florida launch, that it will be in the news cycle anymore because that will be the more kind of Trump style rally that the media is used to and they will be there and so and so will a lot of people because the people of Florida love Ronnie D and they're going to be there and they're going to like I said like show up we're sad that he would be leaving the state but we know that he would be a better president than Donald Trump, like you said, just playing golf today, he had the perfect opportunity to kind of respond back to DeSantis after some of the technical difficulties yesterday. But he just dove away, and then so did Joe Biden. He's leaving, and Democrats are mad. I saw on Twitter that people, like Democratic lawmakers, are pissed that he's leaving while they're going through this whole debt ceiling crisis. Yeah, which is coming up so on the 1st of like June. It, both sides of the party, or both sides of the aisle are getting pissed off. Yeah, it's, it's reportedly he was leaving town for the weekend. I don't know if that's going to happen now uh, because that was put out in Politico and we know that the White House lives and dies and swears by Politico. But it's reported he was leaving for the weekend again and I, he popped out of his hole today to do like one event and then we haven't seen him again. And the other part of that is you have to look at is he's at it's something like 66% see, and this is per Jake Tapper, and this is per um, one of the polls that said that 66% of the country said his reelection would be a setback um, or they foresee the country getting worse. And again, when then you see someone like RFK Jr. is polling at 20%, the story isn't RFK Jr. I know a lot of people are talking about that. The story is what happens when a Gavin Newsom looks at that and says, if if that nutball is pulling 20 percent, what is my polling? What could I pull? And then then you have a party. Then you have an actual primary of someone like that jumps in and becomes a viable option other than Biden. And so will that happen? I don't know. If Biden's polling continues to go this way, you might see a Democrat party behind the scenes saying, yeah, you should jump in and have a primary. So. Um, I mean, Biden is ripe to be a one-term president. All the signals are there to that happen. It's just up to the GOP on, are they going to try to make that happen genuinely or not? I, I, com- I completely agree. 
and I'll um, I'll let you go. This will be my last word. Go Panthers. So we're bringing the cup back to Florida. Lord Stanley's. Uh, it certainly looks that way. If if I were picking, that would be my pick as well. So, um, yeah. Um, just saying one more. I saw Joe drop off and jump back in. So I'm bringing Joe Mobile because he was all the way back there. <laughs> I saw him drop off. And I'm like, okay. And then I just scrolled back and he's he's all the way to the back of the line. So I'm like, all right, just come on up. Thanks, man. Yeah, I was having some technical difficulties. And also, uh, so it sounds like you're going to go full kiss farewell tour with closing up uh, call in, aren't you? What What was the kiss farewell tour? Well, it's it's like they always do a farewell tour, but then it keeps getting prolonged, where oh. it's the farewell tour part two, part three, <laughs> and then you think that they're all in the ground, and then 20 years later, they all come back. So right now, we're watching the reanimated corpses of Gene Simmons and all the guys yeah. you know, playing shows. So No, what was funny is, as I said on the podcast, I said like last night, just when I got the notice, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll do one more episode then. <clears throat> and then they, and then I got another one that said, well, no, it's going to be the end of May. So we're going to wrap everything up through May. So I looked at it. I'm like, well, I, I still, that's, that's, you know, almost two full weeks. So I was like, well, I'm, I might as well just do this through May then. Um, and so what I didn't, I just, the thing is I didn't feel like going back and fixing the published recording of the podcast uh, because I had this great, you know, monologue where I was all emotional and I was being honest and exposing my soul and whatever. And so I was kind of like, I'm not going to do that. So I kind of saw the uh, the room size last night and we had a ton of people and I was like, yeah, we'll just do we'll just do an encore. I'll bring, you know, those people back. And if they're not here tonight, they'll be here on their usual Friday. And and then so I'm going to take a couple of days and we'll see how it goes. Um, but no, uh, probably what are we at? This is what episode 105, probably 107, 108, somewhere in that range is going to be the last one. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just funny. I was like, ah, we'll do an encore. And I didn't have no idea what to call this. So I even said any, any band that does two to three encores is just a fucking asshole. So, um, it'll be, we'll do encore one and two. And then if I decide to do a, a final episode, I'll, you know, I'll make sure it's, it, we go out Seinfeld style. That sounds good. And if you come back in a few months, we'll all be here waiting for you. I, um, I don't think that that's so, going to happen in a few months. <laughs> I don't even know if, this, no, if, it's, no. if the app is still going to be here. No, kiss farewell tour. I'm just going to lay it out there. Um, so, um, yeah, DeSantis' launch last night, that is not the most disappointing thing that has happened or will happen this summer. That's going to be the next Indiana Jones movie. So let's get our expectations in check, people. Were you were you I were mean, you here uh, for our Indiana Jones talk the other night? I wasn't. No, I missed that. So I'm not going to go back into it. Um, fair. That's fair. I will, I don't even want to say disappointing because people were talking about how DeSantis kind of got the upper hand on Disney, and if you look at Disney's polling with Republicans, it's horrendous now. And you're looking at companies trying to alienate half the country <clears throat> and what you're seeing with Bud Light, what you're seeing with Target, what you're seeing with Disney is they're going to end up pissing everybody off. So when Bud Light wouldn't back Dylan Mulvaney, now you had, you know, LGBTQ flag cultures abandoned Bud Light. And now that Target has pulled clothing off the shelves, those people are pissed and companies are going to learn you just don't play the game anymore. Just don't do it. Like it's not worth it. We're not getting involved in this shit. We don't care about our social credit score or anything like that. 
and they're just going to decide we're done doing this. Um, I said the thing, if you think Disney is unpopular now, wait until Indiana Jones comes out. And I said, if the rumors of the plot are true, everything I've read online, because I really, I really don't give a shit about this movie. So I've read everything. Like when I heard, when I read rumors about the plot, I went, holy shit. Like, Kathleen Kennedy is going to have to go into witness protection if the plot rumors are true. And it's not simply just about Phoebe Walker bridge carrying the mantle. That's, I mean, that's the intention because everything Kathleen Kennedy has done, every franchise she has touched has, has decided we're going to make this about girl power and star Wars to Marvel to this one. It's not even that. And I, I don't want to spoil it because it could be true and people are going to decide to go see it. But I basically said, um, if if what is rumored to have happened in this movie actually happens based on di- like early test screenings just said this was a disaster. Um, <laughs> I, I think it could possibly completely damage Disney's brand, like for good, uh, just because Disney fucked up Star Wars. I get they have Mandalorian and things like that. Um, but you know, not not even, not even anymore. Arguably, right? They're closing the Star Wars hotel because they don't have the movies uh, that bankrolls everything. They're out of those. So I know that they're doing Daisy Ridley movies again and stuff like that. But who knows at this point? Um, if they go off and they actually ruin Indiana Jones in a way that is rumored to happen, you, you ruin an iconic character the way that is rumored that it's going to happen. Um, all, all I can do is sit back with popcorn. Um, and based on reviews and the way that critics are kind of tiptoeing around the language of how their reviews are, I think it's actually true. I think it's true. All of it, um, about what they're going to do to him. And if they do it, Catholic, it's going to make Bud Light just look, it's going to make Bud Light look like a spring boycott. Um, it's, it's going to be a nuclear fridge attack on Disney and Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, all that I've seen from was just from the trailer, and I think that Phoebe Waller-Bridge, just from that one or two scenes that they showed in the trailer, I mean, guys, where where does Kate Capshaw go to get her apology? I mean, I would take her screaming in Temple of Doom every day of the week and twice on Sunday than this cringe-ass dialogue. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's abhorrent. And yeah, I acknowledge that the original trilogy is the only one that exists. Um, and and I also, I think, like you, I defend Temple of Doom a lot more than than other people. But holy shit, that's just on another level of bad. You already have right. critics saying you don't know how good we had it with Crystal Skull. <laughs> that's that, that's setting expectations into the fucking Marianas Trench. Yeah. Um, so I I. I'm not going to spoil it. I've thought about it. I've thought about saying, well, here's what I've read. Um, I'm not going to do it because I don't want it to be true. And I know people want to go and get it ruined for themselves. And I've said, if it, if, if the spoilers are true, I'm going to go see it. Because I just I just want to soak it in and just be like, you know, I'm going to be like Kent in Real Genius. Just like my body's ready, hot laser beam from the sun. And um, I, I won't even care how bad it is. I'm just going to sit there and wait for like the last 30 minutes of it. Um, because again, if it's, it's going to do so much horrendous damage to Disney and to Kathleen Kennedy, and they're not, they will not let her touch another project. She will be fired like a hundred percent. And, uh, I, I guess we're going to find out. Um, but 
I think yeah. what's interesting, well, I think what the most interesting thing about like the trailer and, and even with Crystal Skull is indie movies are sweaty and grimy and bloody and dark and grainy and Crystal Skull kind of had that glowy digital, you know, soft focus style look to it. Other like in the beginning, the opening of Crystal Skull is fucking great. They're in the, you know, they're in the warehouse and he's, you know, running up on the boxes and so, and I was like, okay, it's going to be all right. And then of course, no, um, I would even argue the motorcycle chase through the library and stuff like that was all kind of vintage Indiana Jones. And then you look at the trailer for this and everything just looks so clean. It looks digitized and uh, it doesn't look like it takes place on location. It looks like it takes place in a volume like Mandalorian and, and everything's glowy and it's crisp and it's clean. And it just takes me out. Like the cinematography of that just takes me out of the movie. This Indiana Jones, and it's James Mangold, which is shocking to me because this should look like Logan. Like to yeah. me, that's Logan looked like an Indiana Jones movie. You know, where he's just grizzled and fucking, you know, old and sweaty. It's just that to me was that's kind of why I got up for James Mangold. And I saw the trailer for it. and I'm like, oh, God, like this has to be a Disney decision. You need to make the movie look this way. And it just looks so watered down and the de-aging shit. And I don't know. But if it's true, if if the rumors are true, it's going to be so fucking awesome to watch. It's going to be incredible to just sit back and watch the explosion. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my, 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 uh, point tonight, and then I'll, I'll hand it off to, uh, the rest of the good folks here is that, um, I, I think, I do think with last night with DeSantis' announcement, yeah, it wasn't the debacle that people in the media are making it out to be, but I think it does underscore a point in that he basically has to run this campaign, not necessarily to perfection, but to where these small little errors that are unforced and that are outside of his control stop from happening. And But the thing is, is that you could see this coming from a mile away um, as to the potential wrong that could occur. Um, and this is the kind of thing that's going to be analyzed under a microscope by everybody, the media, the bulwark, all the never Trump grifters over there. They are going to be monitoring every move he makes under a microscope. And that's the burden that he has. He is the one alternative. And as such, he has these expectations, fairly or unfairly, um, placed upon him. And I just think that, you know, that's that's the situation he finds himself in. And I think that underscores the reality of this campaign is that he has to run it, if as I said, if not to perfection, pretty damn close to it. Uh, I, sh- I, I, for the most part, and not in a good way, I agree with you. Um, and that's why little things like this can't pile up because, you know, can't, campaigns die every day by death of a thousand paper cuts. And so one thing like that, not a big deal. Um, but if, you know, if people talk about errors, it could be anything from an answer to, you know, an unscripted moment that happens to how he looks shoving a pork chop in his mouth. Those are all things, right? And so are those things that matter to the electorate? I don't, I don't think that the, the Twitter thing matters to the electorate, not at all. Um, but again, it shows you, it gives you, it gives you an impression is, did his team think this through? Was he prepared for it? And it, again, if, if you're not thinking things like that through, or if you're not prepared for that, how well are you going to be prepared for when Trump says that your wife's breast cancer diagnosis was faked? <laughs> and that's all, I mean, people like, oh, how could you, I'm like, no, you better be fucking prepared for things like that. And so 
I think that that's the only thing that it says. Um, this idea that he's way too online, he's only speaking to way too online things. Well, he didn't win re-election in Florida by 19 points for being way too online. And so that to me is already a busted narrative. It doesn't matter. Um, but I, I, for the most part, think you're correct. I think there's a grace period. But, you know, starting November of this year, pretty much at the one year mark, um, it, it has to be close to a perfect flight. And it, that's. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Well, this was this has been great for last time. Or not. We'll see. I'll talk to you later. I don't know. I'll be here tomorrow and then um, maybe probably one episode next week after that. So that'll be Kiss, right, Kiss Reunion 2 or 3. Maybe I'll even name it that and just go out with it like that way. There you go. Sounds good. All right. Take it easy. Cheers, Joe. All right, there you go. We did our we did our honorary skipping everyone for just saying, and so uh, now we'll just go down the line here. Um, I'm gonna I'll try to get to everyone that's back there. I see Ben, Andrew, and a few others, or Eric. Um, if if not, like I said, I will be here tomorrow. And if you jump in, I'll make sure you're towards the top. Well, I wanted to start off and say congratulations on the hockey title. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh... It wasn't a. It wasn't an actual championship. It was the tier two group. So we were just, we were the we were the middle championship winners. So it wasn't like one. You know, the top versus the top. It was um, we out of the ten teams in our league. We were in seventh place. So we played in the middle tier, and we lost our first game, and then won our second, and then we won the champ game in the playoffs. And I had back-to-back game-winning goals in both of those games, which is good because I'm the captain. I'm supposed to do that stuff. Um, and I said on the podcast, my my championship game-winning goal was a goal that uh, I got home and I, I just I kind of had to soak it up a bit. I was, I was kind of doing a full Al Bundy um, because it was, it was a kind of goal where I, I could not have done a year ago. And I think I described it as I was one of my guys had a breakaway and I just got on my horse and skated behind him and uh, I kind of blew past a few guys, and after I put it in the net, I wasn't tired. And that was one of those moments where it's like you put in a lot of hard work over the last year with a personal trainer, and now it's kind of paid off. And so, yeah, it was a little bit of a sobering thing. It was the best goal of my career. Well, right on. You know, take the flowers. Like I said, congratulations. That's awesome. Um uh, and from uh, this conversation, I gather uh, what they're going to do to Indiana Jones is they're going to make him trans. No. And so, yeah, that's... No, uh... they're not doing that. But th- there's been talk that she would carry on. And now they're hedging it by saying that they might not do more films, but they would do more things on Disney+. Plus. So that, to me, is a hedge already. It's n- No, they're not going to make him trans. There, there was already the rumor that she would pick up the mantle and she, you know, supposedly the plot goes infinitely farther than that. And I, I, I if I revealed it, everyone would just shit their pants. And I kind of just want everyone to shit their pants when they see it. And I really, really, really hope it's true. Um, and I've seen enough of it to where I think it is. Like, there's been enough of people from screenings or from script leaks through online forums, internet, whatever, Reddit and other places where... It certainly sounds like it. And so it's not that he goes trans. Um, it's not that he's gender swapped because that's kind of what Kathleen Kennedy does. He's just gender swapping Luke Skywalker for Daisy Ridley, which nobody has a problem with. The problem is, is <clears throat> she kind of makes the demand that these characters are flawless, like the Mary Sue. 
yeah. which is they have no flaws. They're perfect. They're, they can fly starships right off the bat. And they know lightsaber battle. Right? And that's the that's the problem with it is this whole idea of girl power infects the story. And it turns out that they're just not very interesting characters. Yeah, well, still based on this uh, call-in, I'm just you know I gave up I gave up halfway. I left Crystal Skull. I was so disgusted. So um, I can't you know like I gave up on Indiana Jones. But now now I will search out the rumor just to go. Oh, you got to be kidding me! Somebody but, on um, Twitter when I when I mentioned it. Um, oh God, it's it's one of those kind of fun, smart, anonymous accounts. Um, who when I talked about it, he said. I I could not make the same face twice if I tried after reading for myself what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great way of putting it because like when I read it, I did the holy shit! I don't believe they actually did this. Like they actually thought this was a good idea for this character, this this iconic film character. Um, and those of you, I'm sure if those of you in the audience and stuff, you guys can go Google it yourselves. And then maybe in the last episode, we'll all get fucked up and we'll talk and I'll just spoil it, whatever. Um, but I think it was the end of shoddy or shoddy times or whatever said that. He's like, I could not make the same look on my face twice if I tried. And I just, <laughs> I really, really hope it happens. Uh, I don't give a shit about Indiana Jones. Like you said, like kind of what Joe said, my Indiana Jones is the first three movies. It ends perfectly riding off into the sunset. There's no need to even, you know, reminisce about Crystal Skull. It sucked, whatever. Um, but this one, oof, <laughs> it's going to be glorious. Right on. Well, that's something to look forward to. Um, I didn't really have much. Just wanted to say, you know, uh, you know, follow you to the next uh, uh, version of this, whatever it is, whatever it's on. You know, you find another call in. And... Uh, you know, I, uh, off of what uh, Jacqueline said, I, I live in, I live on the ghetto side of where Mar-a-Lago is. You know, I'm about a less than a ten minute drive to him, and uh, most of the most of the conservatives around my area, they're Trump, Trump. Uh oh, he he just went Trump, Trump, Trumped. He just got Trump, Trumped. <laughs> If you jump back up, I'll I'll let him finish. But Alex, go ahead. Welcome back. A- Alex is unexpectedly up. So I don't want to boot Alex because he's a regular, but uh, I'll, I'll see if he's back here tomorrow night. He knows how to work it. He, Alex just isn't paying attention. He's sitting in his shack in Australia. He's got his dag. He's got his dingo on the porch with his baby. Um, so we'll see here. I'll give Alex... He's making his tea. Yep, he's off fighting kangaroos. Putting a shrimp on the barbie. Fighting with the alligators. How many other Australian cliches can we throw in there? Having a Fosters. <laughs> All right. Well, Alex, if you jump this, get in there. I'll uh, bump you back up. Uh, Stephen, go ahead. I think Stephen's a first timer, and he gets in here just under the wire as yeah. we wind these episodes down. Yes. Um, on DeSantis. Um, yeah, everybody who says 
last night doesn't make a difference. They're they're correct. It's 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 not a big deal. I'm not a fan of DeSantis. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan of Trump, but my thoughts are this. First of all, um, you know who was the smartest person in the room uh, running for president back in 2016? No, tell me. Hillary Rodham Clinton. Okay. You got to like, you got, see, DeSantis, first of all, he's got to get a, uh, what do you call that, a speech coach, uh, coach, okay, to change the way he talks. Because if you close your eyes and you listen to him, he's got an irritating voice. And and as an example, go back as far as Reagan. You probably go back farther than that. Reagan, he had a soft voice. Uh, Bush, not so much. Clinton had a soft voice. Bush, too, he had a soft voice. Obama, he had a soft voice. Trump has a soft voice. He needs to get a uh, get voice lessons. And the other thing is, is he needs to find a way to get people to like him. Because how many, you know, go back to your high school days. Who got elected uh, class president? Smartest person? Knowledgeable person? No, the person that everybody liked. So that's all I'm saying. Um, he's, he, he's, you know, he knows all his shit. But, you know, a lot of people don't like being told, uh, I know my shit. Why real, so anyway. real fast, why do you think he's unlikable? Like, if, if you're giving advice about, like, what you don't like, you personally don't like, what is unlikable about him? Does he just standoffish? Or um, I know, like you said, he needs speech lessons. But, like, what? how to, how to you does he? Um, I want to say the, the know-it-all. I, I got, you know, like, I got this. I know what but, I'm doing. But what if he does know it all? People, people vote for human beings. They don't vote for, they don't vote for robots. Okay. And that's how he comes off. He comes off. He come, he doesn't come off human. Okay. That's my opinion. You know, if I decide to vote in the Republican primary, um, I'd, I'd probably vote for him, but there's a lot of people that wouldn't. For the simple fact that you know he's got a, he's got he's got some lessons to to, to take, so well, but you know would I think he do I think he'd be a very good president? I think he'd probably be an excellent president, to be candid. And, and I do think you have a point that there's a difference between na- you know state elections and national elections. But if he's that unlikable, how would you explain a 19 point win in Florida, which was the biggest the biggest margin of victory from any of the races? Uh, in re-election in 20? Well, it's real simple. Who was he running against? And did the voter rolls get cleaned up? And did the cheaters in, uh, what is that, Palm Beach County or whatever the heck, you know, they got tossed. And there was more Republican registrations. Okay. But he was he was successful. I'm not going to argue his success. Okay. I'm just saying... There's a lot of people out there. They ain't going to pay attention to squat until it's like uh, two days before the election, uh, you know, or the primary. And they're just saying, yeah, I don't really like the guy. I like this guy. Boom. So I don't know. I just he's got he's got he's got to take voice lessons. He's got to quit sounding like, like super nasally. And that cracking voice, he's just, he's got to soften it up. I know, 
I'm sure there's some sort of concoction he can take before he goes on, you know, stage to speak, to soften his voice up. But that's all I'm saying. I'm not knocking the guy. I'm saying he's he's got to become more likable. And, you know, the most successful salespeople that I work with over the years, um, you know, they got a soft voice. That's all I'm saying. Otherwise, um, nice to be talking to you because I do follow you on Twitter. And um, so that's about it. Great. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in DeSantis has kind of been kind of knocked in the past or just being kind of robotic and not a great retail politician. Um, I, I think people maybe I, I see what you say by like a soft political voice. You're right about kind of Reagan and obviously H.W. Bush. Um, Clinton, maybe I don't know how many people would say that Obama had a soft voice or Trump. Um, but I do, I do think that that's something that is a, that is a fair observation that a lot of people kind of have of him. Um, but then I guess I would counter that. And I say, when you see like raw footage, uh, of him interacting with people, um, that doesn't necessarily really hold up. Um, but it's a good, it's a good opinion. And it's, you know, one of those things where you just say, yeah, this is, here's my thing on him. And, um, yeah, I, I don't see like anything real off the charts wrong kind of with what you're saying. So Steven, thank you. It's good. I like getting new people even as we wind down here. Um, so it was good to, good to get a new person and get your perspective. So again, thanks. Yeah. Well, you invited me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I do. I mean, yeah, I invite everyone in and then they come in and see what nonsense is going on here. So All that's right. you take care. cheers. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, We'll take Robert. Where are we at here? Peter, Eric, Andrew, Ben, Matt, getting each. Um, I'm going to wrap up with Peter tonight, guys. So I'm sorry about that. Um, but I'll be, again, I will be back here tomorrow night. Uh, and Eric's funny because I think I always end up booting Eric as the last caller. But um, I do appreciate him jumping in. Um, but I'm going to end with Peter. Uh, but Eric, Ben, Matt back there, Gideon, I see some regulars. Uh, don't hesitate to jump on tomorrow night, probably against 7 p.m. Eastern. And so uh, I'll get you guys all in if you show up tomorrow. Hey, Stephen. I uh, just wanted to say uh, thanks for having me all these times. And thanks to the uh, call-in uh, crowd for uh, being so accommodating of me and my situation. And also a huge thank you for all the... Uh, positive comments uh when uh when mama brown came uh came up to speak so uh that that uh, was that was a memorable one i've had a few of them we had we had the kid when john gabriel was on here i forgot about him um i forget what his name was but we had you know that little kid come in and of course we had your mom come in we've had my dad come in and uh there's again there's all these little things that make these be beyond the content and beyond what people know as far as um, topics like guns or whatever, immigration. Uh, it's always kind of these personalities that come in. That come. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, I do want to give a special thank out. Uh, thank you to the, uh, the one person who made the comment that listening to her story made him feel more patriotic. Uh, that was definitely a very touching comment. So, uh, you know, even, even the folks who, uh, you know, chat silently, uh, just wanted to give them a, sh a shout out. Um, and, uh, 
just my quick uh, political takes. I love Rand Paul. I do love Tim Scott. Uh, but right as of tonight, anyway, my political Mount Rushmore consists of the four Ronalds. Ronald Reagan, Ronald Paul, Ronald Swanson, and Ronald DeSantis. Um, and and just o- a, only one of those was president. I hope you know as of now. Uh, well, I don't, the other three should but if, should damn well be. Um, and lastly, since we are on the encore, uh, you know, uh, you know, on an encore episode, what are your favorite? Uh, ending tracks, uh, either from, or, well, from uh, a, a, an album cut or a favorite closing song of a live performance you've given. And uh, you know damn well that my picks are obviously going to be Hootie and the Blowfish. So thank you for allowing me to evangelize my favorite band for everyone to put up with. Uh, my favorite uh, closing track uh, from an album is from their third album, Musical Chairs, uh, with a closing track called What Do You Want From Me Now? I think it's a beautiful song, uh, and uh, I actually consider that their best album because it's the one that uh, they branch out musically in as many different directions uh, as they can. And, uh, you know, all the way from the good old-fashioned dad rock uh, to just, a, you know, an a awesome jam band song. Uh, so that's that's uh, the one. If, if I had to pick one Hootie album to bring with me, it actually wouldn't be Cracked Rearview as much as I love that album. Uh, it's it's going to be Musical Chairs. Uh, and my last, and to end things off, uh, my last, uh, concert, uh, and they've done it for quite a few of their encores, um, but when they, when Hootie does encores, uh, it's usually, uh, with the exception of maybe one of the, the huge radio hits, uh, it's going to be three or four cover songs. And uh, my favorite cover song that they uh, like to close out concerts with is none other than Champagne Supernova. So, uh, Stephen, I'll pass it off, but just wanted to say thank you again. Thank you for giving me uh, all those shout-outs uh, when I, you know, whenever I hit the tip jar or you know, most recently with the, uh, the gifted donation. Uh, the donated uh, subscription. Uh, happy to support you, and uh, keep kicking ass. Uh, Robert, thank you for that. So I appreciate it. I'm just uh, I'm glad that I can get people up to kind of get their own views out on things. Any anything from like I said, film, music to like this is a this is a good episode in the sense of you know we we're talking DeSantis, we're talking politics, we're talking film. Uh, we're talking the uh, proverbial raping of Indiana Jones, and uh, now we're going to be talking closing tracks. Um, I don't know. That's a that's a weird one to be put on the spot for. The, the, the one that comes to my mind, 
for a closing track is uh, a song called the uh, the barely blur from Moa Lane from a band called Y, which is one of my favorite bands. Um, God, I'm even thinking back to earlier stuff. That's that's what I'm going to have to to think about. Um, but and as far as live, what was what's a what was my favorite closing track live? <laughs> that's one that's. Uh, uh, U2 did Can't Help Falling in Love in 1992 when I saw Zoo Station, which was my first concert. Um, that one comes to mind. Um, the the I just saw The National, and they closed out with About Today, which was an interesting one because it's obviously a downer. Um, and so I'd have to think about, I have to go back and kind of really think about the recent shows I've seen and think about some of the last tracks I'm thinking about, like I saw pulp at radio city music hall and things like that. Um, but the shout out louds to me always have great ending tracks on their albums. Seeger Rose always has great. I mean, Seeger Rose just has great tracks anyway. And so those are a couple. Um, but yeah, um, I enjoyed having you on and I enjoyed, obviously it was great. Like when we, when we heard from your, from your mama there. And so I will be back tomorrow night. So don't, don't think that the party's quite over yet. Um, so if you, if you are one of my, if you're one of my regulars, if I go through with what I have planned for a final episode, you're going to want to be here for it. Peter, you're up for this last encore episode. Like I said, everyone, I will be back tomorrow night, but this is encore part one. I'm kind of doing that Harry Potter final movie thing or mission impossible where they take the last film and split it into two. That's kind of more obnoxious thing than kiss uh, reunion tour, or whatever. Uh, but Peter, uh, go ahead and bring us home here for the night. I will be there. I will be there. Thank you, Stephen, for making me the last caller. And I'll try to make it uh, interesting. So I agree with the the two callers before me uh, about the weakness of dissenters. But I want to talk about uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, advantage, uh, which I think, uh, uh, Stephen, you probably uh, did not see. Every president will write a m memoir about the, his presidency. Trump has yet to do that. That will be a huge publicity stunt because he had a lot to write. First thing, he can literally name the book, My First Term and Why I Deserve a Second Chance. Everybody deserves a second chance. First. Second, he is the big shot. He need not to respond urgently with the DeSantis' announcement. Not at all. His slogan can be very easy. The uh, dissenters is not my enemy. The government is my enemy. The government is the enemy, uh, enemy of the people. But he's not, and but I'm, he's not saying that. He's, he's simply well, going think, after Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I know. He said a lot of nasty things. I mean, that's Trump being Trump. And, uh, and uh, uh, both the uh, book tour you know, will bring him money and everything. And everybody, you know, write, write those books. So I think he has a lot be, behind him. And, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, oh, geez, I forgot the most important thing I want to talk about. Uh, it's all about Trump, basically. Oh, yes. The government is literally handing him all a, in gold plated platter opportunity to fight back with the government. Alvin Bragg's trial, uh, uh, Jack Smith, uh, anything he will, he can come out and say, see, this is what government do to me. 
and the government can do the exact same thing to you. And guess what? The descendants actually act and talks exactly like what those prosecutors talk. <laughs> very, very monotone, no emotion, just like, you know. So I, I, I will say Trump has a lot of potentials. I'm not going to write him out. By the way, I hate Trump passionately, just like uh, Tucker Carlson. I hate him passionately, but I do believe he has a lot to leverage. So that's what I want to add to the discussion. Um, I, I kind of agree with you along the sense of that could be Trump's argument. Trump's argument could be he's there's always that meme out there where he says, you know, they're not after me. They're after you. I'm just I'm just standing in their way. I think that that's kind of an effective meme that he's used in the past. Um I guess I would I would look at it and say that makes it more about a personal thing where it trumps under investigation. And um, I do agree that those investigations are a boon to him, that I do agree that people see that. And especially when you get down to how are they slow walking the Hunter Biden investigation? Exactly. When, when you see these when people see that Trump is possibly going to be investigated and prosecuted for the same things that Hillary Clinton was not the the classified document thing is it, it's under the exact same statute that Hillary Clinton was being investigated under exactly so when he you have so when you have someone like James Comey who says we're not we, no prosecutor James Comey didn't say she was innocent he said no, no reasonable pro, no reasonable no reasonable prosecutor yep. would take this case yeah, and yeah, now yeah. you have Biden you have a special prosecutor who's like oh yeah we'll take this case and oh yeah we might recommend charges and so obviously you have the Alvin Bragg stuff. There's the voting, there's the voter case in Georgia. And so, yeah, and, and, as, and as someone who, you know, is I'm an avid Trump critic, it certainly looks politicized. Oh, I and hate so, him passionately, but I think uh, there's a Chinese saying for each crisis, there lies an opportunity. He has a multiple opportunities to fight back against. Not I do. Contenders. I do. Not, I, do uh, I do agree with that. But at what, at what point do voters look at this and say, well, this is this is Trump just fighting his personal legal battles. And this does nothing for my family who's getting completely dragged over the coals by inflation. Uh, well, I actually think uh, he a lot of people can relate to his legal trouble. I am pretty sure because uh, my show is talk about the uh, actually Devin Nunes just came out, say our entire judiciary system has collapsed. Multiple judges knows the hoax, Russia Gate hoax. They did nothing. There's a lot of a resentment against the judges. And uh, so he can all come out like a swing and uh, uh, Americans like a fighter. They they enjoy uh, enjoy a good fight. Why not? Why didn't he reform it the first time? Oh, like I said, I hate him passionately. Trust me, I will be. I mean, I will say he could have pardoned the January six people. He let those people prosecute. And, and he I'll take it a step further. Um, yeah, go ahead. Some of those people were sentenced today in court, and Trump yeah, exactly. was out, and Trump was out golfing. Exactly. That, exactly. doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like someone willing to fight to me. I know. He left his people behind. That It, it depends on how uh, dissenters, Haley and all the people attack him, right? But like I said, I'm not writing him out, but I do believe he will have a book tour. It will be a natural campaign, presidential campaign only uh, also. And it's a big money, you know, coming thing also. 
And, uh, like I said, uh, the, uh, uh, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, Jack Smith, all go after him. He said, look, they are all coming after me. I'm represent the people fighting the government. He can literally say that. You know, he, I think, uh, I will not write him off uh, whatsoever. So uh, again, I hate him passionately because <laughs> his FBI raided my house <laughs> thinking I'm a Chinese spy. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> and they'll, they can, and uh, by the way, it's the same Hunter Biden's, uh, Delaware district, the same prosecutor, the same FBI. They go after me, get seized my, all my computers, but they don't even want to take a look. <laughs> at Hunter Biden's computer. So I hate Donald Trump passionately. So I'm not trying to defend him, but I do believe he's a serious, serious candidate and uh, serious contender. So again, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll come back uh, tomorrow night. Okay. And I truly enjoy your show. Sir. Sure. Um, I, I do, I do, th again, I do think that, um, and I, I by no means underestimate his ability to walk back into that Oval Office. Um, thanks again, Peter. Alex just jumped back up here. You're lucky you made it just under the wire. I'm going to take you. Um, <laughs> Alex, you're up. I was ready to jump off, but I, I, I bumped you up earlier and then I think yeah, you, just, you were all just at the, at, at, we were all theorizing just at the doing in Australia. It could have been walking your kangaroo or fighting a crocodile or whatever. Uh, real fast, before Alex speaks, per the New York Times, I talked. we talked about this last night by Samuel, and then I also talked about it today on the podcast. Uh, DeSantis raised $8.2 million in his first 24 hours. Yeah, I... Um, the, the, la the last, the more context, the $8.2 million DeSantis in 24 hours compares to the 9.5 million the Trump campaign, despite having his 2020 presidential contact list raised in its first six weeks. Trump raised yeah, 9.5 million in six weeks. DeSantis raised 8.2 in 24 hours. Dude, we got a race. Yes, I think that's basically the crux of um, the primary season over there. I mean, forget about Nikki Haley or Tim Scott both of whom have, like, their merits. It's basically up between Trump and um, the Sanctus. It certainly is right now. And election, I mean, yeah. we're, we're a year and a half out. But, yeah, it, it is a it is a three-person race right now. It's Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and, and Ron DeSantis. And, again, I, I, think, I think that there is a chance Biden's going to need to head off a serious primary opponent. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, following the launch, I think that, here's what I think about um, that uh, launch. Like, yesterday, uh, when you did that call-in, one person said that Juan DeSantis is more than likely to appear on the Joe Rogan experience, and I thought about that, and I was like, okay, that might be certain, that would be plausible, because... You know who Joe Rogan would not actually invite on his podcast? Donald Trump. He doesn't didn't, want to invite him on his podcast also because of I mean, January the 6th. Yeah, Rogan, Rogan said he wasn't going to have political actors on his podcast, but I thought, I thought he turned down Bernie Sanders, um, if I remember that right. But he might change that, and so... Um, yeah, know. and they could talk, about, co and they could talk about COVID and how you know amazing his state 
was when it comes to approaching COVID and Joe Rogan could be talking about how, you know, um, you know, any kind of, any kind of theories that he has about why that would be the case and it will get like a hundred million downloads. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the, uh, the crit- criticism that DeSantis might be a too online candidate, it may, um, it may work in his favor because it might not be because it might not be a legit criticism critique. I mean, look at Glenn Youngkin; he basically campaigned on things that you I would normally find on Twitter or on other on other websites. But um, but that's apparently affecting like practically. Every pa- every parent living in Virginia, and yeah, so the Santas. Yep. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think it's a bogus attack. One being, I think they're attributing his team to being way too online, and you know, you have Christina Peshaw, who's a pretty good user of Twitter, and you have his team that are really, as soon as something comes out, his team is right on it, whether it's Griffin or Redfern or Peshaw. And I think they're equating that to him being way too online. DeSantis doesn't tweet. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He does like when he tweets. It's it's clearly like an it's clearly like a a press team tweet. It's you know Happy Memorial Day to all of our troops, and it's him with his wife and fireworks. Like it's very mundane, generic tweeting that a politician does. DeSantis himself, and that might change. He might you know throw a clap back in once in a while, or his team might. But him personally, um, and, and I and I know this from talking to people close to him. He just he hates it. He just doesn't he doesn't get into it. He doesn't like it, um, and he he also views it largely as kind of you know a progressive tool, which you know obviously goes against with him doing it with Elon Musk. But he reportedly did it just because you know of Elon Musk's and you said it the pandemic stuff. And Rogan very much has that similar stance that Elon Musk has. Or that David Sachs has. He's he's in that same circle of people in media, and Musk is in media. Um, and so this idea that he's way he's announcing to way too online crowd, and it's like Taylor Lorenz fucking named her book that. And so you guys acting like this is suddenly a bad thing. And two, he's not online. Him personally is not really online. And so I think that they took that and they're equating. The fact that he has a very young, very social media savvy group around him, and they're using that to say DeSantis is just. They said the same thing about Donald Trump years ago. I mean, remember when Jane Jane Coston was like, "You know what's the problem with Donald Trump? He's way too online." And I thought about whether or not that's that, actually that doesn't a really good matter critique. if the media are putting his tweets all over their network. Which is what they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He would tweet. Yeah, something. exactly. It, like it, I wasn't, never... it wasn't that Trump tweeted his way to the presidency. It was basically that he would tweet something, and the media would be so fucking outraged or so surprised that they would then put it up on their television screen. And it was kind of always like, "What are you doing? Like you're giving him like how many exposure. people do you know actually uses True Social? Because I don't know. I don't use True Social." No one uses I know, true social. I know but one person that uses, I think, is on Truth, and I'm not going to say who that is, but yeah. But um, what, is he is he doing that because of Trump, or is he doing it because it's a social media website and he wants to use it that way? I don't know. 
but and I think Trump's hardcore base is his true social base. And I talked about that on the podcast today where I, I don't think that I think that Trump's kind of hardcore base could be inflated. Like people think it's more than it actually is. And how many of those, you know, I think the true the true social people, those people claim or whatever online, but they're never going to vote for DeSantis. They're never going to vote for anyone other than Donald Trump. And so beyond that, you know, where really is his strength on the base? The rumor is that he actually canceled his event in Iowa because he couldn't pull the crowd that he wanted. And that if that's the case, um, that's Donald Trump's strength is his rally size. And if that's the case. Yeah. And I think I think, you know, we would um, it's just the, the campaign for DeSantis has just started. And I know that the, I'm aware that the launch has a, a few glitches here and there. And of course, it's it's Twitter. It is Twitter spaces. It doesn't have the same quality as calling, which is sad that, you know, you calling is, is not going to be here forever. But, you know, I, I think, I think it would, I think what I believe is that the census is going to take some baby steps. Like he's already going to go on the Eric Erickson show and he's going to build his way up to like the kind of media that actually prefers him. So it's if it's Eric Erickson, then it's Glenn Beck. And then after that will be National Review. And after that will be another appearance with Ben Shapiro or and or Matt Walsh. And you know, he's making it I think I think his um his media savvy is what makes him really fascinating about him. Like mainstream media just does not have any room for him. So their status won't have any room for them. Like if you're gonna call, you're gonna compare him to David Duke. I'm looking at you, Vanity Fair. Yeah, and, and today Vanity Fair was you, complaining he won't talk to me. He won't talk with their outlets. And yeah, of course, laughed. Of course. Like you just fucking called him David Duke yesterday, and now how dare you ignore us, sir? <laughs> yeah, and, and essentially also, he, he's in a primary. He's not the nominee, so yeah, he's not going to go yes. talk to CNN. And he understands this, and I don't think people like Nikki Haley and and Mike Pence and Trump even understand it. There are no Republican voters watching CNN. And so if you understand that the fight is the primary first, first and foremost, it is the primary, then you're going to go and talk to as many conservative voters as you can. And those people are not at MSNBC, and those people are not watching Meet the Fucking Press, and thus are hate-watching it. And so this idea that you, you won't talk to us, Tara Palmieri, uh, was sir, who's your favorite Disney character, sir? Like, fuck off. And that's, you know, I think that this idea, Alyssa Farrah Griffin, for instance, he needs to talk to hostile audiences and she turns her Twitter replies off. Um, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't no, of course not. People. Like, you don't. No, of course not. And, I... and he understands this. And it's funny how... Candidates that Alyssa Fair Griffin endorses, Sununu, Larry Hogan, these dudes are polling at 1%. And the guy who doesn't talk to these media outlets and treats them like fucking garbage that they are is polling around 43%. And it's interesting that they just fundamentally don't understand where he draws his power from. Or they do, and they don't like that they're frozen. Yeah. And I, I should also mention, I should also mention, like, 
the the never Trumpers, uh, like the Bullock and the Lincoln Project, because apparently they are having like second thoughts about Trump. If I wanted to put it that way, and now they say, now they're saying that DeSantis is um, much worse than than Trump. Like I remember reading a Bullock article about how anti anti Trumpers are now putting their all their money on the table for DeSantis, and I'm just like, have you have you guys actually figured out why exactly these people call themselves anti anti Trumps? Because they were never in favor of Trump in the first place, but they know, they know that, you know, Trump, like the way people treat Republicans is no different from how they're going to treat, treat Donald Trump. And the same goes with DeSantis. And round and round it goes, it goes into the self-perpetuating cycle that is absolutely confusing. Um, and, but you know what? It sells. This kind of thing sells. And I hope, I hope to God that DeSantis actually exposed um, the, the the Bulwark and the Lincoln Project for who they are just by pointing out that, oh, you were against Trump, but now you're in favor of Trump to carry against me. That's not what I think he would do. Or she should do. Um, I'll, I'll give you one last word. My response to that is I don't think he should address either of those parties at all. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, because one that's, last where thing. They draw, they, that's where they draw their strength from. The Lincoln Power really gained relevance because Trump started responding to them. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't foresee a world where Ron DeSantis, unless he's directly asked about it, um, I don't foresee a world where he even gives two shits about Bill Crystal on the bulwark. Like I no, I, and no, your point is very valid. It's look, if you claim to be true conservatives, Liz Cheney ain't gonna draw fifty two percent in a Republican primary. That is just the party we live in. That is never coming back. Okay, Reaganism is forty fucking years ago. It's not coming back. This is a changed party. There are different priorities. You don't have to like them, but then just admit that you're a Democrat and move on with our life. So if you claim that you're professional, never Trump. And now you're going out and hitting out at the one viable option to stop him. There's one viable option. And uh, the, the, the dirty little secret is DeSantis in Florida. If you look at the, the political operatives who operate out of Florida, the Rick Wilsons and people like that, DeSantis is actually their dream candidate. If you know anything about these people that you spend any time around or talk to them, um, he is their dream candidate. And now they know that they can't do it because they're not coming back through that fucking door. Good riddance. Um, but it really does pull the mask off when you say uh, we're going to start taking down the one viable option that eliminates Donald Trump from the presidency completely. Um, except they're not doing that. And so you have to start asking, why are you not doing that? Well, we don't like him. We don't, we don't like his war with Disney. We don't like And you can make a counter argument. And I, and I do agree with DeSantis's arguments on corporatism. It's not, it is not populism to attack corporatism and companies having free speech rights is different to me than companies engaging in political warfare using a lobbying arm and their, you know, multi-million dollar arm to try and overturn laws. If you do that, then you're fair game. And so I look at this and I say, okay, well, 
um, if you're not if you're going to go after the one viable alternative to Trump, that means you're a Democrat, except they know they can't say they're Democrats because their usefulness to network cable and MSNBC dries up the instant that that happens. Um, they are a dishonest group. Um, they are paid in dishonest money and they generally know it. And that's the thing. They're all very much in financially invested in keeping Donald Trump inside the arena and hoping that he then goes on to lose again to, to Joe Biden. They're pretty much just interested in revenge. The Lincoln Project, people at the Bulwark, not so much dispatch, but those kind of people like that. They're interested in revenge for getting kicked to the curb. And in that way, they are no different than Donald Trump. And that's always been the case. Um, those people are exactly like him. And so that's really what's behind all of this. But as far as DeSantis, I don't think he owes any of those people a, a response or uh, a reaction. And the Lincoln Project will still make ads and the media will once again start putting them up there. They'll forget about the fact that the Lincoln Project hid, you know, hid allegations of sexual misconduct by one of their founding members because that stuff always has a shelf life. And so they'll keep doing that. And he pretty much just needs to fucking uh, ignore all of that. So, Alex, I'll let you wrap. I'll give you. Uh, yeah. Um, you know that you got a lot as much attention as um, as a presidential candidate when the ban or the super group boy genius basically calls you out basically and basically says, fuck one DeSantis. And you just and. I just look, I just read it and think, boy, genius, more like girl failure. <laughs> um, boy, genius, if you don't know, that's the super group with uh, Phoebe Bridges. And, yeah. Um, They're all Phoebe Bridges over. and who else? Uh, God, my, my brain is in a complete rot. That's how I know that, you know, these, these people are just giving him. The publicity, yeah, what? Well, like, forget it's, it's going Julian against Baker. Disney. It's, it's Phoebe Bridges and Julian Baker, and I don't know. And some other girl. Yeah, yeah. Forget about forget about Disney. How about going against Pitchfork-approved bands? <laughs> Talking about how you know they don't like white uh, white singer songwriters. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks for um, thanks for the call. Thanks for the call in. I, I, I real miss, miss it. Um, and I certainly hope that, you know, if you find a worthwhile platform that, um, then I'll call in as well. I'll, yeah. We'll I'll see. I don't have in. any, pl maybe I th yeah, it would be, it would surprise me if Substack isn't working on something like this. I don't know if they are or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, they, they should. I think they Twitter, should. You know, I, I may jump on Twitter spaces and do maybe like a, a subscriber thing. I, I don't know yet. Um, I'm just kind of having fun with these last two ideas and I'm having fun picturing what a final episode might look like right now. Because I just got it before I came on. I, it was just I was like, oh, shit, I should totally do this. So we'll see how it goes. But um, it, it's, it, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. One of my favorite things about Colin is I'm talking to people in Australia and people in Europe and people all over the place. And so it's, it's fun to just get a different perspective on things. So thank you, Alex. My pleasure. Uh, 
Uh, that's I, I took Alex's. I, I bumped him up, and then um, he was out walking his kangaroo, and then he jumped in at the last second. But um, thanks, everyone, to my callers. And uh, sorry to boot you all again, but be back here tomorrow night. If you were in the queue and I didn't get around to you, uh, I will do so tomorrow night. And uh, like I said, maybe either tomorrow night or maybe I'll pop in for a final episode next week. Uh, I'm taking I'm taking next week off from Substack, so I'll have time and we'll see. It's not going to be a marathon, guys. It's <laughs> I do think we did. We we'd had one that went past the runtime of Titanic one time, and uh, we're not going to be doing that. Uh, it's going to be something uh, infinitely kind of, I think, a, a little bit more interesting. So we'll see. But thanks for calling in tonight, guys. Thanks for you guys listening. Uh, it's episode 105, Encore Part 1. Uh, come back tomorrow night, probably same time, probably about 7 p.m. Eastern. And uh, we'll do Encore Part 2. And uh, we're going to close this place down and uh, light a match, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, once again, guys, thanks for listening. I will be back on Substack tomorrow. I'll be back here tomorrow night, and then I will finish out the week uh, on Substack on Saturday. And so that's how we will finish out this really stupid, silly, silly week. So, again, thanks, callers. Thanks, audience. Have a good night. I will see you back here tomorrow night. Cheers.